today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Today on the Scott Thompson Podcast, we talk to Rodney Stafford, father of eight-year-old Tori Stafford, who was brutally raped and murdered. Her killers now move to a medium security prison. Outrage again. China, Canada, U.S. relations after the CFO of Huawei is arrested. Where does that leave the trade tariffs? And where are we with Brexit today? It's all coming up on today's podcast. Hope you enjoy the show. We've talked many times on this show and, of course, uh, with Alex Pearson, who covered this case way back when. And uh, in regard to uh, the releasing of the murderers, no, I shouldn't say releasing, the uh, releasing, transferring of them from a maximum security facilities uh, into a medium security facility, specifically with Terry Lynn McClintock, uh, that being a Indigenous healing lodge. We are talking about the people who murdered eight-year-old Tory Stafford. Uh, I don't want to get into the details of this case uh, again, but but a horrific or a, a horrific horrific murder, and to 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 think about what Rodney Stafford, the father of Victoria Stafford, has to go through, just to keep the people that took the life of his daughter behind bars is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting, and we all know how we felt when Rodney Stafford came out and told us, hey, I just got a letter that's saying, by the way, Terry Lynn McClintock isn't in a maximum security uh, facility. She's now at an indigenous healing lodge, which she's not. nobody's proven she's even indigenous, so how the heck she got there is another thing. But as all of that's going on and, and the prime minister calling the opposition ambulance chasers for bringing up such issues and injustice, finally, finally, after public outcry, the Minister of Safety, Ralph Goodale, secretly, as secretly as she was transferred out of a maximum security prison, she then was transferred out of the Indigenous Healing Center. You would think at that time, they might take a look at the other murderer in this case, and the partner in crime. And little did Rodney Stafford or the rest of Canada know, while all this was going on, the other killer and rapist and kidnapper, Michael Rafferty, was getting the same treatment, removed from a maximum to a medium security facility. My question is, if our maximum security facilities are not for people like Michael Rafferty and Terry Lynn McClintock, who the hell are they for? Are there more dubious people out there that we're unaware of? Because this doesn't seem to me about life in prison for taking the life of a little girl. This seems like we're trying to bring these people back into the community as quickly as we possibly can. I don't think Canadians are happy about that. And I know that Rodney Stafford's not. Uh, we're, we, I'd like to introduce you to him now. Rodney Stafford is with his father of Victoria Stafford and on the line now. Rodney, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. No problem. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, our, our sincere condolences, not only for what's happened to you and your family, but what you have to continue to go through. How did you find out about this latest revelation? Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in contact with uh, Correction Service Canada um, regarding Terry Lynn's transfer back to Kitchener. I wanted possibly any information I could regarding Terry Lynn. Um, during that conversation, I also asked, seeing as how I 
I missed Terry Lynn's information. I had to miss some stuff to do with Michael Rafferty. Could I please have that information as well? And uh, I was told, well, there hasn't there hasn't really been all that much activity on Michael Rafferty's uh, file. Uh, giggle, giggle, you know. And uh, <clears throat> okay, would you still want the file I, I, or the documents? I said yes, please. Um, I, I just want them for my own. Uh, I received a letter yesterday. And in that letter, it states that Michael Rafferty was transferred out of maximum to a medium facility now where he is living, open concept living. He he gets people, he can have up to six people every two days come visit him. He's conjugal visits, day passes, all the stuff that child killers do not deserve. Like there's people in prison doing harder time for lesser crimes. So all of this had happened while you're having this uh, challenge trying to get Terry Lynn McClintock back uh, into a prison out of the healing uh, center. This is all going on at the same time. Well, it, it, it happened just before. Like, uh, he was transferred in March, and then everything with Terry Lynn start, started up at the beginning of se- September. Um, but Correction Service Canada has had my information since August 20th of this year. So why I'm still finding out, what, four months later, as to Michael Rafferty, um, only only because I requested the documents. We we sat in a meeting with Ann Kelly, com- the Commissioner of Corrections, asking if there was anything to do with Michael Rafferty we needed to know about. That question got dodged. And it's just like there's no answers, no answers whatsoever how this is even possible. Wow. And so uh, Ralph Goodale, the safety uh, minister of safety, says he's going to look into this to, the, to see if, you know, correct procedure and process was followed. Would he not do that when he was looking into the McClintic case? I mean, these two people were involved in the same crime. I, you would think so. But with them, you know, it's two different crimes, two different people, two different facilities. So it's it's really not the same. But even from so, a government management standpoint, uh, you got to think, Rodney, well, OK, if this is happening, if this fire is happening over here, we better make sure there's not another fire erupting over here. I mean, come on. This is common well, sense. Oh No, I, I totally agree. And with them knowing how much I was fighting and with with the support that I had in putting Terry Lynn back into maximum, you'd think somebody would say, well, you know, maybe we should, we should tell them, you know, Rafferty was, uh, lowered in security as well. That hasn't come up at all over the last three months. Or you'd think that, okay, if we want to keep this quiet and don't want this volcano erupting, we're going to get them back in without anybody. Uh, so you would never find out about it by that time. Exactly. So what does now what does correction services say about this to you? I haven't I haven't actually contacted them. I haven't been in contact with them because I I need I need to take a, a couple breaths for myself before I actually contact them. Make sure I say things appropriately. I I've been trying to hold hold myself together during all this the best that I can because this is for Victoria. Um, so. When I do speak to them, I want to be able to do it on proper terms. 
Uh, I, I'm reading the statement uh, from Correction Service Canada. It says, we are always striving to ensure that victims of crime have an effective voice in the federal correctional and justice system. We understand that uh, there may be times when case management decisions are not in line with victims' viewpoints. We must remember that a large percentage of offenders will be released into the community and the offender management decisions are always made in the interest of public safety using evidence-based approaches and professional experience experience. How can you lump in what other rehabilitation that's going on for other criminals, how can you relate that to a child killer? How is this person even in that same category? You can't. It's not, they're not even in the same category. Not even close. So what they're telling us with this is they're on their way to letting Rafferty out. They're they're, on their way to trying to rehabilitate him so they can get him out again. Which is absolutely ridiculous. They're, they are the worst of the worst criminals. They took an innocent life. Like an eight-year-old little girl, my little girl, a, a little girl who was well-known within the community, a lot of friends, everybody has suffered this loss. And this is a blatant slap in the face to everybody. You uh, remember the reaction, of course, once you went public with this initial information in regard to McClintic. You're saying you're taking some time to regroup now. Uh, how do you think? How do you think this is going to play? What sort of response are you getting from the public on this, even at this point? Uh, everybody's got my back again, once again, because it, it's quite clear. The only people who see that this there is an issue here is everybody in the Canadian public. Everybody within the government and CSC seems to want to make excuses for CSC as to why they didn't do their job appropriately, and nothing like I. I got to fight for this. I got to continue to fight for this because I want justice for my daughter. It just amazes me to no end that they looked at one but didn't look at the other in this. And, and, and you know, trying to prevent further uh, fires from breaking out or, or, you know, how do you respond to that? The fact that, you know, after you made the stink about this and there was public outcry, then they finally made the decision secretly. They didn't tell us to put her back. And now they've done this again by not even looking at the partner in crime. I mean, what does that tell you? Obviously, they just want to kind of get things quick done over with as soon as possible and just try to get it taken care care of. Do you think this will be as big an outcry as with Terry Lynn McClintock? Is the issue more the healing lodge or the reduction from a maximum to a medium security facility? Both. To me, they're both equally as disgusting. With Michael Rafferty, like, he, there's nothing he should be entitled to. This man, like, he brutally raped my daughter. Raped her. Not um, once, twice. And and these are the worst of the worst criminals. So if, if CSC is willing to help better their lives, what, what else is going on within the, in the side of the system with people of lesser crimes? And again, you have to wonder who's who's behind bars at a maximum security facility if these are the sorts of people that are in a medium security facility. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's just, you know, it's nuts. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Uh, Corrections said that I had heard reports that the facility that he has sent to, that Rafferty has been sent to, uh, specializes in sexual predators and in dealing with that. What's your response? I think I couldn't give a rat's ass, to be quite honest. Victoria's got to live in a pine box for the rest of her life. A cell, a cell where he's got air, food, and live, like he's able to even live. 
He, he should be. They should be satisfied with that and thankful for that. Thank, be thankful that Canada does not have the capital punishment because these two people did warrant capital punishment. It's it's disgusting how we've got to sit back and watch these guys live a better life and better themselves as we all sit here and struggle to regain our composure and live on our lives. Uh, any so so far, Rodney, with this, you've got the letter from Correction Services. Obviously, you put this on social media and such, and and you know you've been doing interviews. Any contact with government at all at this point or Correction None Services? None whatsoever. And you haven't heard from uh, Goodale or the or the PM or anybody on this. No, because I honestly believe nobody's contacting me because nobody has answers. I, I've got all the answers in front of me. How come they can't see them? Well, you got to think that at least the Minister of Safety has egg on his face for overseeing what happened with McClintock and then letting this slip through the fingers again. I mean, unless, again, you know, even if they're trying to cover this sort of stuff up, you got to think... How smart is that? Because as soon as this information is public, and, and eventually it is, I mean, you're ending up with a bigger issue now. Yeah, and what what got me yesterday is I watched that little clip from the House of Commons, and Ralph Goodall was asked a question about Michael Rafferty, and his quick response was to spit something back about Terry Lynn, how, how it was all, ter- like, <laughs> he gave the same answer he did regarding Terry Lynn, yeah. he, his his. The question regarding Michael Rafferty was never answered yesterday. What would you say to the safety minister or the prime minister if they were listening? What would I say to them? Yeah. I'm, I'm disgusted in our Canadian government at this point in time. Do you think that the same momentum will build around this that, uh, that centered around the, the, the healing lodge issue? I would hope so, because this is something that could affect everybody else as well. And... It, it, it's clearly affecting all of Canada. So as you know, you've been through, my God, what you've been through. Um, and, and now this battle to keep these people uh, where they deserve to be, uh, you've been through it once. You seemed quite positive moving forward with that, that things were 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 actually changing. What can you do uh, from what you've learned the first time to, to help you with the second? Continue to fight. That's all you can do. I I can't give up. I just continue to build my support and and show the government that the people want the change. Everybody wants the change. This it, it's not right. It's not correct at all. You headed to Ottawa uh, a while ago, and 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 of course that campaign may uh, had a great impact spread across the country. Uh, any thought of doing that again, or because honestly, I'd like to see you in front of in front of the safety minister and, and hear his explanation of how the heck this can happen twice. I would honestly like to hear that too. Um, and yes, if needs be, I we may have to end up uh, run uh, sorry organizing another rally. Um, to make this push, so I, 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 I'm just bewildered that CSC's documents clearly state that, like all their all the procedure, like what people need to get to receive medium security or to go to a healing lodge or to be accepted for this or that. Neither one of these two people have ever met any criteria for anything let alone, like, the first thing right off the hop is the fact that they are child killers and they took the innocent life of a child. Like, that that right off the hop is the worst of worst crimes. 
that alone should make them not applicable for anything. So are so both are in a medium security facility now. Yes, and both were given maximum sentences. Less than 10 years ago. Any idea who is in the maximum security prisons? I you know if or do they just keep rotating deserve to be in maximum? Uh yeah, I I would really hate to fear to see what is in maximum. If if there is anything else in there. Like I to my understanding, I could see there being a lot more people in there doing less crimes, like worse, like yeah, yeah, not as not as evil crimes, doing harder time. Wow, this is just uh, this is disturbing. Well, uh, Rodney, I mean, whatever you decide to do, uh, you know, go back, regroup, talk to uh, uh, the people that ha- that helped you the first time. Anything we can do to support this, uh, let us know. We will certainly get the word out. Uh, I can't see anybody being happy with this. I can't see anybody thinking this is any different than the Terry Lynn McClintock situation. And again, I just don't know how they could have made the same mistake twice. And by that, over and above what their plans are uh, with correctional services and how they rehabilitate people, I mean, that's a separate issue. But to have done this twice to you and not told you and had you find out this way and them being certainly not even straight with you when you're asking and wanting wondering what the heck is going on. I mean, you got to ask, how does this happen to, uh, y- you know, the victim's father twice? Yeah. And what, one thing that really mind boggles me is how Michael Rafferty, he's he, he, just, yeah, I, sorry, I just totally lost my thought on that one. He's, yeah, it's just not right. He's worked his way through the system down after killing Tori. It's just my, it's, it's mind-boggling. I'm I'm totally lost with everything. Well, uh, I'm sure you'll let everybody know if you hear any response or any other response from uh, politician it, politicians. It would be nice if they reached out to you instead of you having to chase them down on this one this time. Well, you know what? They wouldn't. Nobody should have to contact me. They should just do their damn jobs and put her back where they belong. That's it. It's flat out. That's a good it's, point. They, obviously, they made they they put Terry Lynn back into Kitchener because they knew it was wrong, obviously, flat out. You can look at the paperwork and see that this is clearly wrong as well. Put them back where they belong. Everybody can put this to rest. Rodney, is there any uh, website or Facebook page we can go to to offer your support there, offer we, support for we you? Do ha- yes, I do have a Facebook group. It's called Justice for Tory, Protest for Change. We've been asking anybody who wants to join the group uh, to help give support and just let us, uh, we can, by following the group, group they'll get updates and kind of as to where we're going with things. All right, that's Facebook page, Justice for Tory. Rodney Stafford's been with us, father of Victoria Stafford. Rodney, good luck with all of this. And again, any help you need, uh, just make the call and, uh, and we'll get you back on. Thanks so much. Keep digging. Keep digging. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lots to talk about in regard to China. Of course, uh, the situation in Vancouver with the Huawei CFO uh, and now reports of uh, a man by the name of uh, Michael Kovrig, uh, a Canadian diplomat who is now uh, works for a company in China, uh, a company from here in China, and has now been 
well, the company says detained, although nobody in Canada or, or with the Canadian or Chinese governments is confirming that at this point. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, business professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University, and is with us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Glad to be here, Scott. So uh, we're going to talk about the tariffs on uh, U.S. cars and such and, and the issue between uh, the United States and China. But first, how does this story affect all of this? Um, uh, Michael Kovrig, uh, now we're finding out that uh, allegedly he's been detained, but no one can confirm that. What are your thoughts on all of this? Right. So well, let, let's go back uh, maybe to start in a little different spot here, if you don't mind, and then we'll circle back around to all of these things. Uh, for the better part now of a year, China and the United States have been engaged in a trade battle. Uh, the United States is not happy about it losing its uh, economic dominance in the world. It still is the largest economy in the world, but coming up quickly is China. It's the number two economy, and Donald Trump looks at things like trade deficits, and it makes his blood boil. Uh, so he's been trying to get a pledge from China to reduce ex- exports to the United States. Well, China says it's not our fault. It's your people who are ordering the products from us. The only way we could do this is uh, if we voluntarily agreed to raise our prices, and we're not going to do this. And so that started a tit-for-tat battle in terms of tariffs. Donald Trump put on, I think he started off with $15 billion, and then China matched him for $15 billion, and then he took it to $50 billion, and China matched that, then $200 billion. And recently, about three weeks ago, there was a pause. Trump announced that he was going to pause any further tariffs until the new year in the hopes of getting some kind of a negotiated settlement. But even there, the question is, who comes to the table first? Does China come cap in hand trying to uh, uh, beg for no tariffs, or does the United States go, or how do you save face in all this? So here you've got that part of the battle going. To intensify, to intensify the pressure on China, the American Commerce Department has also been looking for any violations uh, that they see in terms of the way China does business. They have alleged for some time that China cheats, that it uh, steals intellectual property, that it violates other international rules, and that's not right. Got to be an equal playing field. And one of the companies they pointed to is Huawei. Huawei is China's major manufacturer of smartphones. Uh, Just recently, it moved into the number two spot behind Samsung as the world's most popular smartphones. Apple has actually slipped to number three. In 2018, Huawei is poised to do $100 billion, that's with a B, $100 billion in smartphone sales and technology. So the Commerce Department has alleged for some time that Huawei, this big company, is not playing fairly, not playing by the rules. And one of the things they allege is that Huawei has violated various trade sanctions around the world. Sanction meaning no trade with that country. Specifically, they pointed to Iran, and they said now that Iran's got its problems, no trade. But they allege, and this goes back a few years, is actually under the Obama administration, that Huawei set up an arm's-length company, I think it was called Skycom, and Skycom did business with um, Iran in violation of these sanctions. So they've had a, an arrest warrant for some of the key executives of Huawei. Then we go to last week, uh, roughly 10 days ago, um, a chief financial officer for the company was traveling from Hong Kong to Mexico via uh, Vancouver and had to change planes in Vancouver. And as she was walking through the Vancouver airport, the American authorities asked the Canadian authorities to execute a warrant for her arrest. So she was arrested, and she has been held in uh, prison, being detained. 
Um, right now, uh, there is no hearing on the extradition. Extradition is when you send somebody to another country. We haven't had a hearing on that. The hearing that we're having is, should she be released from jail pending that hearing on bail? Uh, that hearing started Monday and went all day yesterday. And as far as I know, they're still at it again today. Mm-hmm. Uh, all kinds of pledges for her security. Now, this is really a spat between China and the United States. But can- Canadian authorities were the ones who arrested Ms. Ming. Um, and that's what we do. We have an extradition treaty with the United States. They arrest criminals on our behalf. We arrest criminals on their behalf. China, though, not happy. And in particular, they have sort of viewed Canada as a friendly sort so now the news is that China has uh, arrested, or in other words, detained, a, a Canadian diplomat, no longer a diplomat, now working for a private not-for-profit organization, but nonetheless, uh, they're not sure he's on the up-and-up. So, And you can see this is all a game of tit-for-tat, that if you do something to us, we do something for you just to let you know that we're powerful people. Do you think that the original arrest uh, in Vancouver was a direct result to l- put pressure and, and leverage these talks on trade that Trump is going on now? Is this all related, or is this a hindrance yes. to what he's doing? No, no, th- this was all part of the Americans' right. plan to up the, up the ante, put more pressure on China, because they really want China to come to the table. We want you to say, okay, let's start talks. China wants it the way around. They want America to come to them. So this is, again, this, this is, I know it seems like silliness, but it's all about saving face. Who's got the power? Who hasn't got the power? Who's going cap in hand? Donald Trump believes that in the last two decades, the United States has gone too much cap in hand to other people, begging, asking, or in his case, begging for them to do something. We shouldn't do that. America is strong. You should come on your knees to us. We're the strong power. And so this is just attempts to uh, to rattle cages. We, Canada, are caught in the middle of this. And, and Justin Trudeau yesterday came out and said, look, Canada is a country of laws. I'm not going to intervene in the laws, and he should not. He should not get involved in this court case. But, you know, uh, Ms. Meng has actually not violated any Canadian rules. She's not in violation of anything in Canada. Uh, her her case has not been heard in the United States, so she's actually not guilty of anything, innocent until proven guilty. And uh, there's a separate he- hearing on the validity of the extradition warrant. This is simply while we're waiting for that to happen, which won't happen until February, can she be released on bail? And God bless her, de- her team, have put forward all kinds of wonderful ideas. $15 million of property will put up as bond. She'll, she'll have a GPS monitor, an electronic monitor. She'll have guards to make sure she doesn't escape. Um, really, as much as any prisoner almost in the history of the world has ever put forward, uh, I don't know if that's going to be enough. It'll be a very interesting challenge. I don't see how the judge says no. She's not being charged with a capital crime, per se. She didn't murder somebody. So I, I have a feeling we're going to grant them bail. That will, again, make us look good in China, probably if we grant bail. <laughs> you know, that fellow will be released in China. On the other hand, if we grant bail, Donald Trump won't like us anymore. That's my next question. Where was Donald Trump in all of this? Uh, many questioned whether he was aware of this when his meetings with, with the Chinese went down. That being said, uh, you're saying this is all part of the same deal. Does Donald Trump care that a Canadian's been detained in China? No, not in the least. Not in the least. Uh, in fact, he's not overly keen that Canada has been talking nicely to China over no. the last year. China, uh, after we signed a free trade deal with the Trans-Pacific Partnership and a free trade deal with Europe, and of course we are where we are with the USMCA or CUSMA, whatever you want to call it, China has mused out loud that maybe we should enter into free trade talks with China. 
they would welcome that. And they're doing that again in part because, yes, they like us, but in part because we're not America and they're trying to snub America. Trump doesn't like the fact that, that uh, Justin seems to be friendly with the Chinese and talking with the Chinese. He would rather see us fall in line behind him rather than stand out on the world stage in front of him. So he doesn't really care that it's causing us some consternation. Um, and, and, uh, and in fact, he'll go back to say, look, we have an extradition treaty. Do you want us to not to arrest people on your behalf? Because I'm sure there's somebody we're looking for on a warrant. Uh, you know, probably stole a child or something like this. It's terrible. But that, that's the kind of machinations that are going on right now. So, uh, considering that uh, China is talking about lowering uh, trade tariffs with the United States on autos, are they that upset about what has happened to the CFO of Huawei, or is this China now coming to the table? Has Trump's plan worked? Yeah, so a couple of things here. Uh, Huawei is uh, just a a showpiece company for China. Mm -hmm. It is uh, competing on the world stage. It is getting a lot of credibility on the world stage. They love the fact that it now exceeds Apple in sales, and we always think of Apple as one of those FANG, F-A-A-N-G companies out there that lead the way on the stock market, but their company is doing better. In fact, it's done it in less than 20 years. Huawei was just born 20 years ago, a little less than 20 years ago. Look how far and how fast it's come. And the, the woman who was arrested, the chief financial officer, is the daughter of the founder of the company, mm-hmm. and the founder of the company certainly travels in the highest echelons um, of China. He's not a member of the government per se, but he certainly is in those highest echelons with the government. So this is seen as, as much as an attack on China as it is on an individual company, uh, and, and China doesn't care for it very much. Now, they uh, don't, the world, the world doesn't believe in tariffs. The world believes in freer trade. And uh, both sides have called for some stability. This is like a, this is almost like the arms race of the 70s and 80s. But rather than pointing nuclear weapons at each other, we're pointing tariffs at each other. They know cooler heads need to prevail. Who holds out the first olive branch? They they were in the mind to do so and to start softening the terms. But the outcome of this trial is going to mean an awful lot to them if she gets bail and is allowed to be a normal citizen until the case is heard, I think that will go a long way to soothing tensions. But the judge is the judge. He's independent of any political maneuvering. So again, has this kidnapping, sorry, not kidnapping, that was a terrible word to say, has this detainment, I was thinking of another story, has this detainment of the CFO in Vancouver, has this helped or hampered trade relations? We feel it's we feel it's hampered. We feel that China and the United States were were de-escalating the conflict. They already Donald Trump had announced a pause in further tariffs so the talks could go on. That Mr. Pence was actually leading some talks. So uh, why do why do this at this time? Even the timing of exactly. This? I mean exactly. Why why do this at this time? Except that you know the judiciary, the people who have these warrants, they they monitor constantly. And she happened to be passing through Vancouver, which meant she was passing through uh, a city that uh, they had a friendly t- uh, fr- friendly uh, deal with. Now I'll be also candid and say this. The thing that bothers me about this whole story is why, given her vast wealth, and she's a vastly wealthy woman, the family's vastly wealthy, why didn't she just take a private plane to Mexico, avoided this? Uh, She must have known that if she got on a commercial Mm. jet and had to change planes in Vancouver, that there was something going to happen. Mm. You just couldn't. I can't fathom how someone that smart and that intelligent with those resources. So, again, maybe this is part of some greater plan here. She knew the risk she was taking. Maybe this, again, is part of some 
greater plan that we aren't aware of at this point. I just don't know. Uh, obviously, Huawei not allowed to do business in the United States. Uh, some are skeptical uh, of their ties to the Chinese government. Should uh, we do business but be a little bit more cautious about the business that we do do with China? Yeah, so let me come again at that in a couple different directions. Huawei is a very, very large company. So is Apple. So is Samsung. And in a way, some of these uh, companies are almost bigger than many governments in the world. If but in a communist the, government like China? Well, is it a communist government? Uh, I have been lucky enough to visit China on three separate occasions, and although the party in power is labeled the communists, a bit like the party in power in Canada is labeled the liberals or the republicans in the United States, if you look underneath this, if you look underneath the label, it is a very entrepreneurial economy. In fact, so entrepreneurial that they are prepared in China to cut corners. Uh, I, I was over there once, and I was I was musing about a shirt. Someone was prepared to copy the shirt exactly for me. How many do you need? What sizes? I can have them for you tomorrow. Is that fast <laughs> enough? And and I went whoa 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 whoa. Calm down here. Uh, so, for instance, for us uh, dealing with China, we concern about things like patents and trademarks and copyright. They quite willy-nilly uh, are prepared to violate those just to make the order. So they're a very entrepreneurial people. Uh, but what, what we're saying to them is if you become the second large economic power, if you want admission to the G7, if you want to be part of the World Trade Organization, you've got to start playing more by the rules that govern trade. You can't just do anything at any time and expect to get away from it. Um, but I'd also note this was an economy that in 1968, 50 years ago, when we first had a peek behind the bamboo curtain, was nowhere near the juggernaut it is today. They have done nothing short of a revolution in 50 years, uh, and in, in so many ways I think should be applauded. So my point with the company size is simply that when they get to be that big, it does become an interesting question about who rules do they play by and what do they decide to do. Huawei sells in 173 countries in the world. It's not every country, but it's 173. If you're a citizen of the world, in other words, you live in Canada, but you vacation here and you travel there, you will run into Huawei. I just don't see how you can not deal with this company. What about security concerns? Yeah, so the, there's a valid question here on, on uh, uh, are, are they uh, stealing intellectual property? But again, I would say in fairness, while we like to allege that about Chinese companies, there's enough data out there that suggests almost all the world's major companies play a little fast and loose with some of these um, some of these trade secrets and, and what we would call industrial espionage. Uh, everybody has sued everybody. So Samsung sues Apple, Apple sues Huawei, Huawei sues... Uh, and Netflix and so on and so forth, they all allege somebody got something illegally. That's the complicated world we live in with these patents. Uh, I'm not saying that people aren't at fault, but it, boy, everybody is suing everybody, then who's the blameless party here? And meanwhile, with technology, if you wait two or three years, it, it becomes a pointless argument anyway, because that technology is replaced by some other technology. It's all about temporary advantages in the marketplace. Mm. So, um, you know, is there a security issue? Maybe, but it's not security in the sense of, uh, at least with China, it's not security in the sense that they're coming after our, our way of life, our, our way of doing business. Now, Russia and its alleged hacking in the American elections, that concerns me much more because that really talks about fundamental things that run our lives, whereas opposed to somebody got an advantage in phones, well, that's a very ephemeral. That's today, it may not be tomorrow, and uh, you know, just take your regular precautions. You'll probably be okay. What happens now with the Chinese tariffs on U.S. autos? Will this depend on a bail hearing? 
Uh, no, it won't depend on the bail hearing, uh, in part because I, I'm 99% certain she is going to get bail of some sort, but it could depend upon the extradition hearing. The, the, um, the Chinese feel that these uh, charges against Ms. Meng is, are, are overplayed, that they, that they are trumped up, so to speak. Uh, they're not quite real. Uh, and that's what they'll have to prove next, that there's a valid reason to send her to the United States for trial. So I, I think the bail hearing will pass by, and we'll get through that okay. But really, that's the next question is, how's that extradition going to happen? And then when we have the extradition, uh, will the trial be fair and, and truly equal? Again, don't be surprised if that starts to happen that you might see some Americans arrested, detained, put on trial, uh, if, if this is one of the ways China likes to respond to these, if, if you're making, if you're taking advantage of them, they'll take advantage of you too. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at a Groot School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, always thanks for the time, much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. British Parliament has been uh, quite chaotic for the past 24 hours, and some may say even longer than that. Uh, the UK Prime Minister delayed the vote on Brexit on Brexit until January, um, and now is uh, heading off across Europe trying to get, I guess, a softer deal uh, that will somehow make this more palatable for those in the UK. Let's bring in Stephen Fielding, professor at the University of Nottingham, expert on British politics and political history, and is with us now. Stephen, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. That's fine. Yes, if I can help, so, um, just, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, all you can do is help us understand what's what's uh, going on over there. And believe me, it's not much different here in in some ways. Uh, so right. Theresa May is uh, delayed the vote simply because obviously she realized she would be defeated. Has decided to head out into Europe uh, and, and try to, I guess, soften this. What does she hope to accomplish on this tour, this set of meetings? Well, um, on the on the on the surface, um, she is trying to get some changes, particularly to guarantees about this, this thing called the backstop with Northern Ireland, uh, which, which a lot of her own party and with the party, the Democratic Unionist Party, which is basically propping up her government at the moment, they've got a lot of problems with. That's, that's what, on the surface, uh, that's what she says she's going to be doing. But really, most other people think she's playing for time. Uh, so she's using the excuse about, and, and you can elaborate a little bit more on Ireland. This is about keeping that border open to the UK, correct? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a consequence of the um, peace agreement, um, which involved not just the IRA and, and everybody else in Northern Ireland, but also the Irish government and the British government. And they guaranteed to keep the border open between the two, the two countries. And obviously, with, with Britain proposing to leave the EU, then that border between Northern Ireland and the Republic is a border between Britain outside the EU um, and, and another EU country. So, so both all, all parties say they want to keep that border open. But if Britain leaves with a, with a hard Brexit or, or with a no deal, there's a danger that, that there will have to be kind of checks on that border. And that, and that is something which is not allowed in the agreement, uh, the peace agreement. Will any of what uh, Theresa May is trying to do now be enough to settle the divisiveness in the UK? Or as you said, is this just wasting time? Is it buying time or wasting time? It's buying time. It's, it's what it's wasting time. It's buying time. Because um, really, what she, she realizes that, that the deal that she's got with the EU, there can be no substantive changes to that deal. The EU have said that. 
the most the most that the EU can do is finesse a few words, you know, kind of put, kind of make, make some promises, but nothing that's necessarily legally binding because that would involve opening up the agreement she's already got, and the EU is not going to do that. Uh, but even if even if she could reassure some of her extreme members and, and the DUP about the backstop, uh, that, that it will mean that the that Northern Ireland will remain and be treated just like the rest of the United Kingdom, whatever happens after Brexit, that will not be enough for many of her own backbenchers. Um, so, so what people think she's doing is she's kind of going around Europe so she can come back at some point, maybe in January, and put something to the something to Parliament, which is slightly different in terms of words, but in terms of not very much different because it can't be really very much different. And what will have happened is she'll have got rid of about two or three or maybe even four weeks. So the reality for, for, for parliamentarians is, is what she said to them already, which is it's my deal, imperfect though you may think it is, or it's no deal. Hmm. And considering, considering the threat of rejection, which is why she's delayed the vote, how big of a chance is she taking thinking that, you know, the second time I can come back with something a little softer and, you know, things will be different? I mean, considering it, that, you know, th- th- there was such divisiveness that she called off the vote, is there any hope yeah. that, that something could be palatable to the UK? It's an, ama- it's an amazing risk that, she, that she's taking, but, but it's a risk that she obviously believes she has to take because, you know, when, when it comes, maybe it will be as late as the 21st of January, this, this vote. Uh, will finally be taken. And Brexit, you know, Britain exits the EU. If, if nothing else changes, Britain still exits the, the EU sometime in the middle of March. So we're talking a week before, before Britain formally leaves. Um, that she, she imagines that she'll be able to browbeat enough Tories and maybe persuade enough people in the Labour Party to back her deal. Imperfect though it is, because the alternative is the potential disaster of a no-deal Brexit. So this is an all or nothing, and that's how she's going to sell it when she comes back. Well, that's that, that's what she plans to do. But of course, um, she's under threat of being uh, of, of having to face a confidence vote from her own MPs as leader, because um, there's talk around Westminster that, um, that that there are now 48 letters expressing no confidence in the Prime Minister, and it, and if there are. Or, or when there are, because it, it may be just a question of a few more days before enough Conservative MPs decide they, they have got no confidence in her. If, if when, when that happens, there has to be a vote in her, uh, in her leadership. Um, so long as she gets a majority of MPs of her own party, then, then she's safe. But that is, again, another threat that, that is posed to her position. Is there another leader within her own party that can do a better job at this and offer more options than she can? Well, this, this is a fantasy that, that people have in the Conservative Party, but, but there's an equal fantasy in the Labour Party as well, that they can get a better deal. The EU, and it, the only consistent player in all of this drama, ever since Brexit, um, the Brexit vote, the only consistent group has been the EU. When yeah. the EU says something, that's what it does. And the EU has said, this is the deal. We do not renegotiate this deal. This is the best you can get. So no, no new leader... Can, 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 can change that. No, no Labour leader, no new Conservative leader can change it. Um, so, but it's something that in Britain, people are running around thinking that, that something can change. It's, it's magical thinking. 
Uh, does the EU care that this is not selling? Uh, sorry, does the EU care that the this is not selling in the UK? Does the EU look at it? Well, it's your problem, not mine. You got to make it work. We've done all our well, part. We've done everything we can do. Well, there are you know the EU negotiated with with the British, and there are some member states who think the EU actually gave away more than they were very happy with. But but nonetheless, they've all they've all come together on that. So. So, yeah, the EU, up to a point, it's like, well, we've, we've agreed this with you, British government, now find your majority so, so you can ratify it. I mean, the EU doesn't want to have Britain crashing out with a no deal uh, mm. because that, that will cause the EU some, some degree of uncertainty. I guess, that was my, I guess that was my point, Stephen, was that yeah. if she goes back to the EU and says, you know what, I can't sell it, you've got to get me more, is that any threat to them in the sense that, well, gee, we really want you a part of this, we've got to get a deal done, so... Now we got to work at it harder. Or again, your problem, your solution. Well, I, I mean, that, they, I'm sure they would. They would like to if, if if they could. But I think they've come as far as they can. And the and yeah. the other point is the EU. There are elements in the EU that has never wanted to make this easy for Britain. Because why should they make it easy right. for someone leaving? Because it might encourage others. So, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying they've deliberately created a, a hard deal for Britain. They, they've done their best, just as Theresa May has done her best. But, but the British government's red lines about um, not not having free movement and not wishing to be part of the customs union has created this position that this is really the best deal that any British government could get from the EU. When the Brexit uh, vote first came down, there was worry that uh, other European countries may follow suit. Considering what. We've watched the UK go through. Has that calmed down? Well, there are there are various governments um, in in the EU. I mean, in Italy, in Hungary, in Poland, uh, that that have got significant um, problems with certain aspects of of the EU, particularly with free movement. But I don't know that they would ever decide to to take the same uh, movement, the, the same option that Britain has done. They, I think they will try to change within the EU. Um, rather than leave the EU, because this has been horrendous. Yes, yeah, so this is. I mean, whether whether the British have made a special mess of it, or or it's the consequence of just leaving the EU anyway. I, I think it probably has put off anyone that wants to leave the EU. But they, there's certainly options for change within the EU. So, what other options? Theresa May, of course, has tried to sell this to uh, to her parliament. Uh, the EU says this is the best deal you're going to get. She's out there yep. trying to to change the language. If that will help at all, mm-hmm. what are the options? What are the realistic options for the UK if this <laughs> does? If they don't accept this deal and the whole mm-hmm. thing gets defeated, what happens? Where do you start now? Well, um, well, as I say, ultimately, the, the EU has set, 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 set its, its stall out and said, this is the deal, so you can't, you can't change it. Right. Um, the, only, the only other option um, is, is because Parliament can't agree on, on anything in particular. There's, there's various you know, factions within parties, between parties, but they can't, there is not a majority for anything at this moment in time. So the suggestion is that if Parliament can't decide... we. Parliament should put it back to the British people. But, but this, this whole thing started with, with a referendum. It can only end with a referendum. That is that the British people have got a say. Do they want to stay as things are? Do they want to accept the deal as Theresa May has, has, has got it, the, the only deal that's on the table? Or do they want to have a no deal and just leave without it? I mean, there's a, there's a whole debate about how many questions of which questions should go on a referendum. But, but that might be 
the only solution to this on passing parliament. If there is by chance another referendum, which is, you know, when you think about it, bizarre considering this question was asked days after mm-hmm. the vote in the first place. Uh, if there is, uh, if the option does come up for to vote on this again and, and for another referendum, do people think you can just go back to where you were prior to Brexit? Does the EU say, okay, yeah, you either take this deal or we go back to the way it was? I mean, is oh, that possible? Yes. Yes, it's entirely possible, and you don't even need a referendum to do it, because um, just the other day, yesterday, in fact, um, the European Court of Justice um, had a ruling which was that any, at any point before the actual exit date in March, the British government can turn around to the EU and say, you know what, we don't fancy it, we want to stay, with no consequences. There'll be no penalty no to the UK whatsoever. Well, apart from looking completely stupid, no. Um, so there's no, there's no, there's no actual penalty, but it, it is entirely possible because because there was a suggestion that Britain couldn't change its mind, couldn't change its mind without the agreement mm. of all other 27 members of the EU. But the British government can unilaterally revoke. Article 50. Now, in the end, let's just pretend none of this even happened. Would the EU just like things to go back to where they were pre-Brexit? Well, they would have to. I mean, you know, that, that, that's, that's the legal option. That, that's what was um, decided yesterday by, by a legal decision. So, so I'm not entirely sure whether it would be the... Because David Cameron, if anyone remembers David Cameron nowadays, mm-hmm. but David Cameron... Um, did, did, did make some get, did get some concessions about um, free movement of labor and things like that um, I'm assuming they they would still stand but yeah it's it's that that is the judgment I'm sure there would be quite a few um, European politicians who would just be utterly bemused but that that would it, it would be like the scene from Dallas if anything remember Dallas yeah when Bobby Ewing, when Bobby Ewing <laughs> just appears in the shower um, and it's like nothing ever happened it's, yeah that's right yeah well you know I mean hey if you got to eat some crow you have to eat some crow <laughs> uh, so you could honestly see Theresa May doing her U- European tour coming back in January and saying I've done my best they're saying this is all we're going to get now you have to decide could you honestly see this going back to another refer- referendum um, I, I don't know that it, it, that it will, because cause the thing is, she is against it. The Conservative Party, if, if there's one thing that the vast majority of Conservative MPs agree on, um, it's, they don't have a referendum, another one. And also the leader of the Labour Party, the main opposition, currently is very much having a, a referendum. So it's, it's a possibility. Um, it, I'm not saying it's, it's likely, but it's certainly a possibility. But again, do they need another referendum to go back to where they were pre-Brexit? No. Oh, no, absolutely not. No. No. If, no, no. But, but there isn't a majority in the House of Commons at the moment to do that. Right. But if, if, the House, if all the MPs got together and said, look, you know, this is what we want, or the government, whichever government it might be, had, had the chutzpah to do that, mm. that's what could happen. But we haven't got that. No, the government doesn't want to do it yet. They, they haven't got enough MPs who'd want to do that yet. Will this come down to the 11th hour before this is hammered out? Well, um, I mean, to be perfectly honest, the, 27th, the 21st of January is the 11th hour. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a few weeks mm. before Britain can actually, Britain will just crash out with a no deal. That is just a remarkable situation because when, when, when people, um, were, you know, people who wanted Britain to leave said, oh, it's going to be the easiest trade deal in history. Mm. It could be done in, in, in a matter of moments and look where we are so yes i think i think it will 
What is it going to take for consensus on this? What's going to need to happen? There will never be a consensus on this. No. Um, no, this, 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 this has split the country down the middle, almost, almost perfectly down the middle. It was only 52 to 48 mm. who decided to leave. Um, and, and, if, and if there is a referendum and, and the decision is reversed, it isn't going to be reversed by, by many more than that. So, so whether we stay or whether we go or, and how we go, Britain will remain divided. And considering this, as you just mentioned, the, the court case that was out a couple of days ago, or the court, court ruling that said the ability was there to go back, does that change the discussion at all? Well, not, not really. I mean, a few, a few Remainers have said, oh, look, we could do this. But, but there, like I say, in, in Parliament, there, there, there is not a majority for that, yeah. uh, anywhere near a majority. And both, both party leaderships, Labour and Conservative, are still, still um, in favour of, of Brexit. Is it too early to say what we have all learned from this? Is it too early? Or will that take another decade? Well, well, don't don't have a referendum um, unless you know what it's going to be. Yeah. Don't don't have a referendum which is just based on a simple majority of those that vote. Have it as a two thirds majority that vote, or or have it as a two thirds majority of those who were able to vote. So so it won't just simply be it. So so if you and this is what happens in in most normal countries. Um, but if you have a referendum, you usually have something very serious, um, and and you make sure that the maj- that, yeah, a true majority of people want to change the situation. Whereas in Britain, if you if you look at who actually voted, it's only about a third of people actually voted who were entitled to vote that actually wanted a Brexit, and only a bare majority of those that did vote. So so it was a it was a rather ridiculous that no nobody had any safeguards that this would truly represent a consensus. I remember the day after Brexit, everybody was just, oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. I mean, it was as if they, nobody thought that this we would end, ever end up for, uh, where we are. What are your predictions? What's February going to be like? <laughs> Cold, wet, and miserable. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. In terms of the politics, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I mean, because, because I, I can imagine if she's still leader of the Conservative Party by the 21st of, 21st of June, she may still lose that vote. She may still have to have another vote. And I, I honestly couldn't tell you. What's the mindset of those in the UK right now? Is, are, they, are they just exhausted with all of this yet? Well, there's a large, there's a large proportion of people who just want this thing done. Yeah. And, and that, you know, some people say, well, we voted for this. Why, why aren't you doing it? Why is it not being done? Because, I mean, the Northern Ireland backstop has truly thrown a spanner into, into the works. This is something that nobody... Or at least hardly anybody talked about when when the Brexit vote was was was, yeah. was, was mooted. Um, so nobody, and it's an extremely complicated issue that hardly anybody really truly understands, and many MPs themselves don't really understand. So so I think a lot of people in Britain just think, even those that didn't vote to leave, just want this thing done. Yeah. Um, but Parliament can't decide. Stephen Fielding has been with us, professor at the University of Nottingham, expert on British politics and political history. Stephen, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck moving forward. Thank you. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.